0: Good morning, everyone. If you didn't know, I am a huge Royals fan. <laughs> yes, our Royals. I want to see them win so bad. I was eight years old when they won the World Series, and now they've won six playoff games in a row, and we are only two wins away from the World Series. Can you believe that? It all started off with that playoff game, with the wild card playoff, with the Oakland A's two Tuesdays ago. If you remember that late night, um, I do. I was actually watching the game by myself. I had the freedom to explore the room and cheer as I wanted to. <laughs> and so um, I remember us being down seven to three in the bottom of the eighth inning. Remember that? I had given up on them. Every everybody else in Kansas City is like, "This game's over." Going to bed. They came back to tie it, and then the score changed many times. And that night, I experienced every emotion known to man. And I was by myself, so um, again, I was free to explore. I I had my hands on my knees waiting for the important pitches. When we'd strike out, I actually would bang my head against the wall. Um, There was a big table, so I would rest my hands on the table watching this game. I would just be waiting for every pitch. I would yell. There were times when I was angry um, when we'd strike out or hit into an out. And I experienced all those emotions. And I'm not afraid to admit it, but when we won, I cried. (laughs) Like a baby. See, I love my Royals. And I love the fact that this street out here is not Baltimore Avenue right now. Until the playoffs are over, it is called Royals Avenue. So, thank you, Mayor and City Council. Yes, Royals <laughs> Avenue. I just want them to win so bad. And I know the rest of the city does as well. But you may not be as passionate about the Royals as I am, as others. For example, my girls, seven and eight years old, every time baseball's on the radio or the TV, like, Daddy, baseball. I want to see the Chiefs, and you know, so they—they they don't even like baseball at all. They're really into My Little Pony. That's—that's that's their want. It's not baseball at all. You know, each of us have our own wants. And what is your want? It might not be sports. It might not be My, my Little Pony. <laughs> but what is it? Is it the new phone that you want? Maybe it's something bigger—a new job, a new soulmate a new lease on life, you just want a clean start. We all have these intense longings and desires for certain things. And we get worked up about them because we're passionate about those. We want those things so bad. But there are times in life where we don't care about certain things or just nothing at all. And we're like, eh, whatever. We have no longing for anything We don't have to be passionate about everything. So it's okay for those times to feel indifferent. Like, you know, we don't have to care care for everything equally. But sometimes our indifference can be really destructive. Say you're walking out here on Royals Avenue, and you look inside one of the buildings, and you notice a small fire. Well, you choose to keep walking and say, eh, whatever. You know, our ignorance and our indifference can be really destructive Sometimes, like with that fire, if we ignore it, it will grow and grow and engulf the building and destroy it. And the same thing happens with our approach to Jesus. We ignore him at our own risk. If we remain indifferent and we kind of just shrug our shoulders at the life he offers us, at the wholeness he gives to us, we'll be in a world of hurt now. And for all eternity. So it's imperative that I ask this question today of all of us Do you want Jesus? And when I ask that, I don't just mean you all. Do you want Jesus? I ask myself Do you want Jesus in your life? Josh, do you want Jesus in your life? So I want each one of us, including myself, to ask this question this morning Do you want Jesus in your life? Now you're in church. And I'm assuming you might say yes to this question. It's a pretty safe bet if you're here, you have some interest in Jesus. So when I ask the question, do you want Jesus in your life? You'd say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. But what do we really mean when we say we want Jesus? Oftentimes, we, we mean, I want Jesus in my life if. If he makes me happy. If he makes me comfortable. If he can solve my problems. But Jesus wants so much for you. He wants to rescue you. Just like that beautiful song just said. Jesus wants to provide a rescue for us. He wants to transform us. So this morning, we're going to look in John chapter 5. And we see Jesus enter this man's world in order to rescue him and transform him. But we're going to find out that this man has no no desire for Jesus. He's kind of just... Indifferent. We're going to see that everything that goes on points out that this man is just not there with Jesus. He does not want Jesus in his life. And there's a lot that we can learn from this story about the indifference in us and the indifference we see around us in others. So as we look at this story, I want you to visualize John chapter 5 in your head. Look at this story as a movie. And when I say story, I don't mean it's made up, it's fiction. Because everything in these pages is true. And they really happened. But I know it's helpful for me when I read narratives like this to see it in my mind as a, as a movie, is a video playing out. So, so hopefully that will help you as we go along in Chapter 5. So as it starts out, The screen in the movie is black. And we see these words slowly appear on the screen. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We see Jerusalem from an aerial view. The music starts to play as the movie starts. All right. The helicopter view zooms down on Jerusalem. Until we make it to the pool of Bethesda. Now there is in Jerusalem, verse 2, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. If you're not sure what a colonnade is, and I didn't, I had to look it up, honestly, sorry. But a colonnade is a row of columns with a roof over it. So you can see in this picture, you've got four colonnades on the outside that makes the the outer part of the structure, and then you have the fifth one in the middle that divided the pool into two portions, the upper pool and the lower pool. But the two pools, the upper pool and lower pool, together were considered one pool. And think about this. This is mind-blowing. That is as large as a football field. It's not some small community pool or backyard pool. This thing's enormous. And so, in your imagination because the text tells us they were there, but you could see the multitudes, these crowds, crowds, crowds of people filling this place up. The hundreds of people, but why are they there? Why are they here at this pool? These hundreds of people who are not well. You see, there was a, a great superstition that was built up around this pool that apparently when the water stirred up, if you were the first person in the pool, you would be healed. The stirring of the water may have been caused because the pool was spring-fed. So the water would come in from the spring, come into the pool, and it would stir the water up. But the belief at that time was that an angel of the Lord came down and stirred the water. So that was what they were there for. They wanted to be there when the water stirred up so they could make it into the pool. All of these physically broken people were there waiting for the water to be stirred. They trusted in that pool. They looked deeply in the water and wondered, I wonder what life would be like if I made it into the pool first. How life-changing would that be? So you've got the crowds of people, and the scene continues to play out in our heads. The camera zooms in even further, You have a rear angle that shows the back of Jesus' head as he walks. He's walking with purpose. His footsteps are very deliberate. And at the sides of the screen, you see people pointing, wondering, who is this man? They're asking their friends, who is this guy walking in? They don't recognize him. So you see the people there, but you see Jesus keep walking. He walks past the crowds, and finally, the camera comes to a stop. The shot is still on Jesus' back, but now you begin to see where he was headed. The camera's focus shifts off Jesus and now gives a clear shot of a man lying on a mat. Verse 5 tells us that he had been an invalid for 38 years, and I wonder, has he been at the Every day for 38 years Does does he somehow get there Or does he stay there Is that where he lives We don't know But what we do know Is he's there that day And that day Jesus came to enter his world And we're about to find out How he would answer the question Do you want Jesus in your life So the the man slowly lifts his head And in verse 6 we see what happens here When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? What? Imagine this. Put yourself in the story. Close your eyes if you have to. Imagine 38 years you have not been able to walk, not been able to move, and this man comes up to you. You've never seen him before, and he asks you, Do you want to be healed? How would you take that? Like, of course I want my legs to work. Of course, it's a ridiculous question, maybe even insulting. But I wonder if Jesus has something greater in mind. I wonder if there's something deeper going on than just his legs. See, throughout the book of John, Jesus always points to something greater. For example, in John chapter 4, he's He meets the woman at the well, and they're talking about H2O water. Jesus says, give me a drink. And the woman says, you have nothing to draw with, and the the well is deep. But like that, the conversation moves on to not the H2O, but the living water that gives eternal life. So Jesus uses the physical to point to something greater. So perhaps here in John 5, Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? with something greater in mind than just this man's legs. Here in 5.6, when Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? He's thinking about something far greater than the legs or the pool. He's asking the man, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole? He's asking the man, do you want me into your life? Do you want me to rescue you? Do you want me to transform you? Do you want, me, do you want me to be made whole? And the man misses it. The man totally misses this we read his response in verse seven the sick man answered him sir I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps before me so picture the irony the man sitting there laying there with Jesus the one who made the water who previously had turned water into wine who's healed people raises people from the dead and this guy holds on to the superstition that the water is going to heal him. He holds on to hope that that's going to change his life. He trusts in the pool. Jesus asks him, do you want to be whole? And this guy's answer, will you help me get in the water? And Jesus' response, I'm not going to help you get in the water. Here's what I am going to do. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. Amazing what happened at once he was healed immediate healing at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked okay. so if you if you saw this movie playing on your mind you know here's where the, the happy music comes on and the, the screen goes to black The credits start to roll such a happy ending right It's wrong the story's not over Every good story has a twist in the plot. You can add a new character into the equation. Um, An effective use of story elements is to use conflict. Now, last night, um, we saw a good example. I I saw a good example of it. I'm sure you all didn't watch this movie, but um, we were watching The Wizard of Oz, all right, after the Royals game, just just to make sure. But remember Dorothy's spinning around and around in this house? From Kansas, and then the house lands where? On the Wicked Witch of the East. So remember the scene after that? Who comes out in this big glowing bubble? Glinda the Good Witch. All right. She tells Dorothy what's going on. Then who comes out? The Munchkins. Anybody want to sing a song for it? <laughs> all right. We represent the Lollipop Guild. The Lollipop Guild. So yeah, everything's happy. I mean, they're all like. Oh, it's just an amazing celebration. And then, boom, the Wicked Witch of the West comes. She comes in this cloud of red smoke, and her cape's flapping in the wind. And that moment, the introduction of that conflict, changes the movie from then on. Conflict changes the story. And that's what we find in John chapter 5. Up until this point, it's awesome, man. We're cheering on Jesus, just like we cheer on the world. Yeah, Jesus high fives all around. He's healing people. And then, verse 9 happens. This conflict is introduced. Into verse 9 reads, Now that day was the Sabbath. And I'm, as I'm reading, <laughs> I'm kind of talking about Jesus. Jesus, you, you could have picked any other day of the week to do this healing. Why did you have to pick the Sabbath? You're gonna, you know you're going to make everybody mad. You're ruining the story, Jesus. (laughs) So if you're you're not familiar with the Sabbath um, and why it would be such a big deal, because if you're not, you're like, so it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath was originally created for us to rest. God made it a day so we can rest, just as he did on the seventh day. But the religious leaders here at this time added a bunch and bunch of rules to that. They took this beautiful, beautiful thing that God created and added these rules. And one of them was that you can't carry a mat. You can't carry anything, actually, from one domain to the other. So this guy who had been an invalid for 38 years gets healed. Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. He takes it and walks. Religious leaders stop him and say, you're breaking the law. Now, Put your back, uh, put yourself back in the story. If you were the man, what would you think? How would you respond to the religious leaders? Remember, you've been laying there, thirty-eight years, and you've just been given the ability to walk again. Tell the leaders, you know, I don't care what you think. <laughs> this guy healed me. I'm listening to him. But what he actually said reveals a lot about his heart. He throws Jesus under the bus. He knows these religious leaders are upset about it, but he doesn't want to get in trouble for it. He doesn't want to take the fall for it. Look what he says in verse 11. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Jesus heals him. What does he do? He totally sells out Jesus. Let's keep going in the story because it it gets weirder in my mind. So let's read verse 12. They, the religious leaders, asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now, if if you just heard someone or someone is telling you, 38 years, I could not walk, and now I'm walking, someone healed me. My response would be, I hope, I would think, What? That's awesome. Praise God that you were healed what's their response they just want to know the healer's name because they want to have words with jesus it's just just an odd response if you're reading along it's like didn't you guys hear this this man who's been in your community for at least almost 40 years but you're concerned about knowing the name of jesus so that you can get him in trouble they wanted words with jesus But they would have to wait because of what we read in verse 13. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Does anybody else think it's odd that he doesn't know who the healer was? There's no hint or indication here that he even tried to find out who it was. It's not like And then he went to go find out who the healer was. He wanted to praise this man. There's nothing. It appears that he's indifferent to Jesus. And he just goes on about his day. Because we find him in the temple, hanging out, in verse 14. We find that Jesus is the one who finds him again. This is the second time that Jesus finds him. In verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Do you want Jesus in your life? That's what Jesus is asking this man. That's what he's asking us today. With this man, Jesus is going so much deeper. When he says, sin no more, he's warning the man to pay attention to his own soul. And not just his legs. Jesus goes deeper than just the physical. Jesus wants total healing, totally wh- total wholeness, physically and spiritual for this man. But the man, again, kind of fails. He ignores Jesus' warning. Look at verse 15. Let's find out what he does. and um, It's just a, an amazing ending here in a bad sense. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. You know, as, as readers of the text or moviegoers inside of our minds, we can sit outside this story and, and kind of see what the guy is doing. We can ask this man, hey, do you, do you want Jesus in your life? Can see by his words and his actions, the answer for this man is really no. In the end, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. In the end, he betrayed Jesus to the religious leaders. He really did not want Jesus in his life. So now that we've asked him that question and found out the answer, let's look at ourselves. Do you want Jesus? in your life. To press into this question, there are three further questions, diagnostic questions that I'd like for us to ask ourselves. And I've been rolling these questions around in my head all week, and I believe they really get to the heart of the matter. First, do you want tweaks or do you want transformation? The man we just read about, he was okay with Jesus healing his legs. But after the healing, he wanted nothing else to do with Jesus. He wanted the tweak in his life, but not the transformation. But all of us in here, we have our own tweaks. We each have that pool that we're trusting in. What's your pool? Is it exercising more, eating better, getting more sleep? Or if you're like me, there are religious tweaks I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to come to church more. Those are good things, but those ultimately do not bring transformation that God wants for you. Whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, he wants to transform you. He wants your life to be found in him. He wants to make you whole. But the issue is, are you ready to be transformed? And if you are, How do you be transformed? What can I do to transform my life, to change my life? And here's the beautiful thing. You can't. You cannot jump in the pool by yourself. You can't transform your life. Your role in the transformation of your life is to rest in the wholeness that Jesus offers you. There's no pool you can jump in. You've got to rest in Jesus for the transformation to make you whole. So, do you want tweaks or transformation? The second diagnostic question do you want relief or rescue? The man who experienced healing experienced relief. His legs were healed, but he missed the rescue. See, Jesus was there offering him wholeness, and he missed it. Relief and rescue are two different things. Relief is temporary, rescue is permanent. And I'm going to illustrate the difference here. Um, My arm right here currently hurts, it hurts all the time since this past summer. I was playing softball. Well, I really wasn't playing softball. My in-laws will remember that day, but um, I was playing an intense game of catch (laughs) with my 13-year-old niece, okay? But I was making Lorenzo Cain-type diving catches, yes. (laughs) And on one of those catches, um, I did something to my arm. And something as simple as picking up my Bible hurts, I can get relief for my arm by taking ibuprofen. But you know what I need for my arm? I need to see the doctor because there's something deeper going on. And I am calling you Monday, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> you see the difference between relief and rescue. Relief is very temporary, rescue is permanent. We all seek relief. Our lives can be searching for relief after relief, for problem after problem. We want want relief in so many areas. I need help with my marriage. I need help with my relationships, with my finances. I need peace. I need happiness. I need, I need, I need. We seek relief, but we need something more. More. Something deeper. We need rescue. I love how one author presents our need for rescue. And I'd like for you to listen to this. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, He would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And so he sent us a savior. Do you want relief or rescue? Our greatest need points us to our rescuer, our savior jesus and that leads us to the third diagnostic question to see if we really want jesus in our life see the man in john chapter 5 that we read about he sought after healing from the pool he wanted something and not someone the pool is about superstition it's about desperation and just like the man we each have our own pool Things that we're waiting for that will change our lives. If only we can get in first, we'll find our life and money, success, our job, finances, friends, romance. Whatever your pull is, that's what we're trusting in. But Jesus is standing next to you, asking you, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? So, what will you choose? The pool or Jesus? John 5 is our story. Our whole world is this scene broken, hopeless people sitting around a pool. And Jesus is standing next to us, asking us, Do you want to be whole? Do you want me? You can take your chances with superstition, or with karma, or with fate, or whatever you want to call it. And you can do that for years and years and years. Or you can come to Jesus and be made whole. I'll ask it again. Do you want Jesus in your life? I suspect there are a lot of different answers in this, in this room to that question. For some of you, you're just exploring this person called Jesus. You just are becoming familiar with this man who walks up and says, do you want to be healed? His question, do you want to be healed, invites you to stop being indifferent about him. It invites you to find out more about him, to ask him questions, to seek after the rescue and the transformation that he wants for you. If you want to know more about this life, of wholeness that Jesus offers, afterwards I would love to talk to you. You could talk to any of the pastors here or to anybody in this room whose life has been transformed by Jesus. Each person who's been rescued, transformed, would love to share this story with you, this life that Jesus had given. And for those who have embraced the one who transforms them and rescues them, Once we embrace Jesus, what does Jesus do? It's beautiful, especially as we think through this story. Jesus rescues us, transforms us, and then he sends us back to the pool. Not for healing from the pool, because we find ultimate wholeness in Jesus, but he sends us back to the pool for what reason? To share this life with those who are trusting in their own pools. We point them to the one who can make them whole. We go out and we share Jesus with them the way that Jesus shared himself with this man. We come offering wholeness in the gospel. Even when people are indifferent to Jesus or like whatever, even when they just want the pool, we pursue them, we share with them, and we listen. So seek out your family, your friends, your coworkers, who seem indifferent about Jesus. They don't really care about him. Share with them the great rescue, the great transformation that Jesus offers. And when the right time comes, ask them, do you want Jesus in your life? Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that we cheer on sports teams. We want so many things in life. We're passionate about so many things, but we forget you. We're indifferent towards you. Help us to look at this story in John chapter 5. See this man who was paralyzed for 38 years, living a physically broken life. Let us see how Jesus came to his world and healed him, and how Jesus pointed him to a deeper life of himself. Help us not to be that man by being indifferent to Jesus, but help us to respond to the wholeness that you have offered in Jesus. God, may we, each person here, May we follow you after our whole heart. Help us to be passionate about you, God. And not to say whatever to you, but to do whatever you want us to do. Whether that's sharing the life that you've given to others, where it's just seeking you out more to grow our passion. God, I just pray for each person here that we would seek, with, seek you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen.